Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. I've been a member and supporter of Go Wild for over a year now. Man, how time flies. Their social media platform is for hunters by hunters. And if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm in the woods or on the water if I'm not working. And yes, some ask, do you work? Unfortunately, I do. It's a place that I post all of my trophies, no matter how big or small. Mine, mostly small. I get tips, tricks, tactics, and advice from people who eat, breathe, and sleep the outdoors. I log all of my outdoor adventures, including the time spent listening to the best podcast in the land, The Journey, hosted by no other than yours truly. So when I need anything outdoors, I just log on to the Go Wild store, pick out what I need, and that's anything from hunting, fishing, camping, optics, outdoor wear, and yes, hound supplies. So when you make your next purchase at Go Wild, use our discount code HXP10 to go along with that free shipping. I'm proud to partner up with the Go Wild team. So let's get your journey started today here on Go Wild. This evening down in Missouri. Well, it's hot and humid <laughs> you know uh, we've had a lot of rain here for the last couple a couple days i mean we're five six days in um and i laid a track for my pups this evening and it was an hour and five minutes old and they just couldn't do anything with it but it it got really humid today and tomorrow is supposed to be 85 and we're coming out of the 60s so it's kind of like shell shock we're going from 60s to the 80s <laughs> so yeah so the Ozarks. So why we get why we get started on this? Just tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Um, we've got, you know, we've got we've got an array of guests, and you know, again, I'm so blessed to be able to interview people and be introduced to people from all walks of life, all over the the country, actually all over the world, and that's the part of this podcast that I love is getting to meet new people and learn new things. So we got uh, J.R. Lanham on from Missouri, down in the Ozark part of the Missouris. And we're going to bring you a little, a special treat here in a little bit. But I'm going to let J.R. introduce himself, tell you a little bit about himself, and then we'll get rolling on this. Yeah. Well, there's not much to introduce. I'm just a good old country boy like everybody else. Uh, I don't guess I've ever known not having a hound. I mean, that's, Mm. I mean, my daddy was hauling me to field trials when i was just a little baby i mean 
had me wrapped up in a blanket. Matter of fact, my old buddy Don Williams down in Arkansas said the first time he seen me, I wasn't much bigger than a squirrel and, <laughs> and sick as I could be. Oh, yeah. Now, when you, your dad was hauling you around, was that with running dogs or was that with treeing dogs? That was with running hounds. Running hounds. So we, you were raised we, with them like Howard was too. Yes, I was raised with them, except for, I, you know, it comes straight from my dad. He, uh, mm -hmm. you know, from the time I was born, he was going to competitions and, and mostly pleasure hunting back then. You know, we everybody hunted two or three times a week and, you know, went to a field trial just for fun and, you know, and for the visiting part of it, with, you know, with friends. Right. Now, what breed was he running back then? Uh, Julius. That's the only, that's the only breed that he's ever had and, and basically the only breed i've ever had in the running hound world july they're popular down in y'all's way um out the midwest i guess i you know i i knew about july's and you know the trig like i i said before you know i'd i'd had a, a half and half trig half trig and half walker um couple uh that's been back in the early 2000s i had him and um like i said he i wasn't real impressed with his speed i think he took more, more after the tree dog than he did to run a dog um <clears throat> but uh you know i've got some trig mixed in mine now but july i mean that that seems to be the more people i talk to the more you hear july yeah and 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 here's the deal with that you know kind of like they're popular here is there's more July hounds in a 150-mile radius of, of South Missouri than there is anywhere in the United States. Really? I mean, there's a lot of July hounds here. I mean, it always has been and still is. Huh. Well, well before we get into that, um, I know you're not, you're not tooting your own horn, but I'm going to toot it for you. But So, Joe, you, you're a four-time national july field champion yes and on top of that you know you you tap into my second my second love is you're a six-time national turkey calling champion and you won second at the national wild turkey federation in nashville this year correct that is correct yeah and you're, you're you at the you is it the u.s open champion yes i won i won the u.s open back in 09 mm-hmm oh nine and you have calls now do you make those or does the company make them and and you they're under your name but there's the rolling thunder uh the the turkey call is pat is it patented by you well i'll tell you the deal on that mm -hmm. my uh one of my very best friends in the whole wide world as a boy named Josh Grossenbacher from Ohio and we compete together. But anyway, he works for Rolling Thunder and he, he builds every call that Rolling Thunder has. And, and my call, my signature series call, those are calls that I've sat down with him and designed them. And, you know, we stretch them to a certain, every call stretched a certain way, certain latex. And my buddy Josh has built them, but, but they're my design. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I listened to him on YouTube, um, and I, it was the one that was a cut. I can't remember the name of it, but I mean, it sounded really good, like really good. And I, I mean, I, I'm partial to a mouth call. Um, I mean, I can use a box or a slate, 
what whatever, but the mouth call is what I prefer to use. Um, so tell us a little bit about your turkey, your your turkey venture. What got you into calling competitively? Well, well, what got me into calling competitively was uh was basically just my love for turkey hunting. I loved it. I mean, from the time I killed my first one when I was eleven years old, Daddy called me one up. I killed it. Anyway, we standing over it, and he said, well, he said, I hope you enjoyed that because that's the last one. you got to go do it yourself now. So, anyway, that's the only turkey I ever had called up for me that I know of to this day. And I just went to hunting. And, boy, it took me a long time to ever get my first one called up, you know. But, man, it just – it it put the spark in me. You know, I, I really loved it. And, anyhow, I mean, just my obsession with that got me – where I got to be a pretty decent caller, you know, and, and, you know, down here in Southern Missouri, you know, there's a lot of famous, you know, people in the Turkey world, you know, Walter Parrott was five time grand national champion and uh, Ray Ive was come from this part of the world, you know, HS guy. And, and some people told me, they said, you know, you're pretty good at that. You ought to start hitting them competitions. Well, I didn't even really know much about a contest or nothing. So I thought I'd go. So well, you're the best in bunker. You better go. So I went to one. I loaded up and went to one. I was about 18 years old. And uh, it didn't take me long to figure out just because I was the best in bunker didn't mean I was the best anywhere else. <laughs> and uh, I didn't fare too well. And now, but I did. There's kind of some unwritten rules in the turkey calling world. I mean, you know, the, the object is to sound like a turkey. But, you know, there's certain ways to have your presentation and, and present that turkey to the you know you're calling the judges you're not calling to a turkey mm-hmm. so you know so you're trying to impress a human but anyway i didn't fare too well at the contest but i did uh, learn enough just by watching everybody else and the people that did win to kind of get a feel for it and now i went home and i practiced and i practiced and i practiced and anyway when i went back the next year i won it Nice. Just a little just a little contest here at the house. And uh so that got me going to a few more and I'd start traveling out a little bit farther. And finally I won a little contest about sixty miles from here. And there was a boy judging it named Larry Shockey from Willow Springs, Missouri. And he told me, he pulled me to the side afterward. He said, Who who's been working with you? And I said, Oh nobody. I just I just call. And uh, he said, Well, I judge he said, I judge every big turkey calling contest in the United States. And he pulled up my score, showing my scores, and he'd give me a 20 and a turkey foot beside it. He said, uh, I judge the best callers in the world, he said. And that's what I'd give you all day long if you was one of them. And, boy, he said, you got to hit the road. And that that really got me going. But now, <laughs> funny part about that later on is old Larry judged me for years and years after that. and And – that was the only 20 he ever gave me. 18's the most I ever got from him again. But, but that kind of, you know, that kind of really got me going. Yeah. Well, I sure do enjoy it. I mean, my everybody that listens to this podcast knows that, you know, of course my hounds are my first and foremost. And uh, I love spring turkey hunt in the spring. And I love to fish. Um, and I don't care what it is. I mean, I striper fish and bass fish. But I, I'm very obsessed with musky fishing, so it's those three things that I that I love to do the most. 
and turkey hunting is one of them. I mean, you know, it's like playing chess, you know, with a gobbler. And, you know, you and I talked a little bit before, you know, most of my hunting is have, I'm having to do it on National Forest, which has become overly crowded, and I've, I've completely avoided it this year. This is the first year that that I haven't killed a turkey, a spring turkey, um, in the last seven. Now, before that, was going through some family crisis and divorce and stuff like that, so I, I, I put it on the back burner. That's why I took a break. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I love the turkey hunt. And you've got to listen to... Jar, you got to listen to one of our podcasts. Since you're a turkey caller, you need to listen to Chris Powell's horrible, horrible, wretched sound of a barn owl that he tries to imitate. It'll make your dogs howl. It'll make you want to wear earplugs. I mean, it's awful. He just don't give a deal who cooks for you, huh? (laughs) That's right. I give him such a hard time over that. Uh, I like ribbing him every chance I get because it was horrible. But anyway, yeah. So I, man, that's pretty cool that, you know, you're a, like I said, a six time national champion an open champion. Um, you've won numerous calls, calling contest. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm, man, I think I'm going to hook me up myself up a couple of those calls. I really like the way they sound. Yeah. You have to get yourself with them. I am. That's my plan. But no, you was talking about that uh, that Grand Nationals down there in Nashville. That's the holy grail of turkey calling. That's that's the contest you want to win. I mean, that's the one we all strive for. And I've I've won second twice, third, fourth twice, and fifth twice. I've never been able to win that one. Mm. Well, you're going back next year. Oh yeah, you yeah. Go- I'll go back till I I'll go back till I win it or don't. Well, I plan on I. I wanted to go this year, but work schedule, we were so short-staffed, I couldn't get off a couple of days to go. Um, and we had literally just got back from the SHOT Show. So my plan is to go this coming year. Um, <clears throat> so maybe if that's so, we can catch up down there. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Have you have you ever been to the NWTF convention? No, I sure have not. It's been on my, my to-do list, but I've not been yet. It, it's an amazing place. Just imagine 900 booths plumb mm. full of turkey calls <laughs> just going off nonstop. It's just a yeah. turkey roar down there. Yeah. May have to take some here, here, my, here, my earplugs, might not. Yeah, you may have to. <laughs> so, Gerald, let's get into the hound part. Let's get into the, the dogs. And, you know, I, I've got several questions. And, you know, I want to I hear your story about what, what you do and i know that we had talked um briefly how many hounds you got how many hounds you running well i'm i'm a running about 12 15 head is what i'm running but oh i've probably got 40 on hand you know mm-hmm. and you also besides the and let's just clarify so everybody understands um you're running, you're running coyotes, but you're more, you're more of a pen runner, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. But you're also running hogs with um, Catahoula and Walker Cross. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So how many, how many of those, how many of those are you running? Yeah, I just got four of them now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it was interesting. So tell me about 
why just four? I thought that was very interesting when you was telling me about this. Well, I mean, you know, when you think of hog hunting, you know, everybody, you know, it's the old bulldog and that strategy and everything. But, you know, I'm still fairly basically new to this. We never had wild hogs in this part of Missouri till about 2013. And uh, I went from never seen a hog in my life to one day there's a big skiff of snow on and I tracked about 30 up under a bluff and killed seven of them. Well, I, the next thing you know, I was tracking them up in snow, tracking them up in snow, and I killed like 165 that winter just tracking them up in snow. I'd never seen a hog in my life. Well, it's just like anything. If it could be hunted and I could hunt it with a hound, that's what I was going to do. So I got me some dogs and uh, started out hog hunting about how I thought, it, you know, I would about like anybody else. But it, it didn't take me long to realize, you know, I was, like I was telling you the other day, that it started to seem to me like less dogs, more hogs, you know. Uh, this country down here in the Ozarks where we hunt, you know, it's real open, real, real big timber. You know, there's places in the woods where we, you can see 250, 300 yards through the woods. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's no really brush or clear cuts in the part of the world I'm at down here. And finally, I got to hunting them dogs. Well, actually, a buddy of mine is kind of what got me into it. He had a blue healer. And, uh, and he would track them things down and bay them all by himself. But every time you got there, He'd be standing back 40, 30, 40 yards, and they might be 20 hogs huddled up there. Now, was he barking when he was there? Yes, he's okay. baited. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And uh, he'd be baited, and they'd slip down there. Well, they'd be 20 hogs, you know, holed up there. We'd just slide down there with automatic rifles and go to shoot, and we might kill a dozen of them right there. And the way he'd go with them, about two miles later, he'd have them huddled up again and we just spend all day doing that. You know, we killed as high as 23 today just off that one dog. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's inter- I mean, I guess that's interesting when do they – and I I'm, I mean, I'm – like I said, I'm not – I'm illiterate when it comes to hog hunting. I, I, I've never done it on purpose. Um, there's been a guy that stocked some hogs here – in one of our areas that we hunt years ago, but I think the DWR's got them trapped out. Um, and we caught a couple of those here and there um, through the years, and not on purpose. Like I said, I'd, I'd rather my dog's not full with them. But um, every time that we caught them, now we did catch a group of five one time, but every other time that I was that, that we ran into them, it seems like they would split and the dogs would just single out one. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with one TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to WorkSoWell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. Do you like to be outside like I do? Hunting, fishing, hiking? If so, Onyx is the app for you. 
I've been a loyal Onyx user for years. It's the one app that I can honestly say I use daily. While hunting, I know where I'm at at all times. I mark trails, bedding areas, feeding areas, and the list goes on. In my travels, I use it to pre-scout all the new places that I am blessed to hunt. Last year, while hiking Yellowstone, I used Onyx to map out the trails and know the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. I mark all of my favorite fishing spots on Onyx. It's been a game changer for me at work. I've used it multiple times to get in touch with property owners. Onyx has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it in your everyday life. It is, by far, the best mapping app on the market. And hey, it's approved by yours truly at Houndsman XP. So when you go to subscribe to Onyx, use our code HXP20 and get you a discount. So get your journey started with Onyx and know where you stand. Yes. Yeah, see, and that's what had happened, Russ, telling you about, you know, like if a person has five or six dogs on the ground, you know, they sure enough get in the hogs, take off and bay, and you get down there and just like you said, it's one hog. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, you take a good dog that knows to stay back, just one dog, or maybe two, sometimes you can get away with it with two dogs, but Man, they'll just, like I said, 99% of the time, they'll just all be, the old times used to call it rallying the hogs. They'd just be sitting there circling them. That one dog would just sitting there circling them, and they'll just be all huddled up. And they'll usually let you walk within 15, 20 yards of them start cutting loose in them. What's the hog population like down there? It's very low now. It mm-hmm. uh, We had a big hog boom about that time, I'm telling you, about 2012, 2013. And up to about 2016 or 2017, I mean, our hogs were getting out of control. They were really, really taking over. I mean, lots and lots of hogs. And, uh, you know, hog hunting started getting pretty popular down here. But but in the last two or three years, our conservation department and the USDA, they've had a pretty rather extensive trapping program and, and helicopter shooting, and they've, they've really got them thinned back. Hmm. Uh, is it because the destruction the destruction of the, the the landscape or what what was the purpose of that oh yeah that it was destruction i'm gonna tell you something they was they was one of the funnest things in the world there was to hunt but they're absolutely a worthless animal i mean it would be nothing to come down them old hardwood ridges and just for as far as you could see for two miles just tore up and rooted and and destroyed everything and eat every acre in the woods. And they just, in just a few short years they's here, you couldn't imagine the difference it made in the deer hunting, turkey hunting. The deer, deer, I mean, they're not affecting the deer, I don't think, but now they don't like to be around them. You know, places I deer hunted my whole life, it was full of deer. You never seen a deer and, and they started slipping away. And, and now I'm just starting to wonder if maybe that wasn't a big problem with our turkey decline we've had around here because for the last, they've really been on the downhill for about the last three years, but this year hogs are almost non-existent, and I'm seeing baby turkeys every day all over. And if you see an old hen, she's got nine or ten. I've seen I've seen two hens with so many you couldn't count just a while ago. So I haven't seen that since the hogs have been here. So I'm I'm just starting to wonder if that didn't have something to do with it. Well, I have heard. I mean, and again, I'm I'm telling you something that I've heard, and not I don't have any scientific proof of it, but. Yeah, I have heard that before that the hogs 
um, pretty much root everything else out of that area. So they'd probably, and I mean, I'm sure they're eating turkey eggs. Oh, they did anything they could get their mouth on. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, you can't really blame it. I don't know if you could blame that on the hogs because, you know, like look at Texas. They're absolutely eat up with hogs. They've got a lot of turkeys too. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know how much they actually like affect them on that end. But I, I mean, if you'd seen where they come down these ridges, I mean, them are stealing, you know, the food source from the rest of the animals. That That's had to play a role, in, you know, in some things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it does. So how much hog hunting do you do? Does How much time does that occupy? Do you just do it when you don't have anything else to do? Or is it something you, you know, pretty do pretty regular? What's the What's the pattern there? Well, about five or six years ago, it was something I did absolutely every day. I mean, that I could. I mean, if I was not doing nothing, I was hog hunting. Mm-hmm. But now, like, oh, now I ain't had dogs out in several months. Now there's no hogs now. I mean, mm-hmm. basically. Right. Right. So let's talk about the, let's go back to the Julys. <clears throat> and I've got, you know, I've got several questions that I, um, I want to follow up on from when I talked to Howard. But just tell me about your, your, you're a four-time national champion. Um, tell me a little bit about the dogs, and I want you to explain to listeners what you was telling me about how, you know, the, you're, you and Howard are kind of on the opposite ends. You know, he's more of an outside hunter, what he called it. And right now, the inside's what's keeping you in business. Right, yeah, we'll touch up on that. But, uh, but no, I guess to get started... Uh, with the hounds, you know, it's kind of like I was telling you earlier. I don't, I don't remember not having a July hound. You know, there's never been a point in my life that I didn't own one. My dad had them, and then just as soon as uh, I got big enough, you know, I started having them. And me and my dad was kennel partners there for several years. And here about ten years ago, we, you know, unfortunate circumstances and stuff, he just didn't have the time anymore tending some family manners and. Uh, I took over all the hounds and, and that's where I got my, you know, that's where I actually got my dogs was a start, you mm-hmm. know, that to say it was mine as my own, but, but no, that's just, they're basically just the same bloodline of dogs that, you know, we've had for 40 years. And, and I didn't get, a, uh, I didn't get a, I don't think I got a, like a definite answer. So when you guys and when your guys are, are, talking about the the bloodline or the breeding of the july like is there is it like the 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 coonhound world where um you keep up with all i'm sure i guess that's not the question i need to ask like what is the breeding like what is um what is some of the dogs that some of your running guys would recognize it's in that's in your that's in your pedigree you don't have to tell me exactly what if you don't want to but um What's in your pedigree? Okay, well, you know, now it's kind of changing times now because, of, you know, they used to be July dogs scattered all over the United States. I mean, big name dogs, you know, that they were Julys, but, you know, they kind of, the, the breeding kind of went to a name. Like there was, you know, Filson bred Julys, which was in, you know, Kansas or, you know, uh, Bill Smith Julys down in like Georgia and then, you know, like there's a boy in Missouri named Rafe, you know, 
all the bloodlines had like names, but mm -hmm. they were all over. There was lots of them, but, and, but now there's not nearly as much, but you know, that back then, you know, it all went back, you know, you had your Southern July's and that was what, when you referred to him said, well, he's a Southern bred July mm -hmm. and he would have been, you know, there was a strain of July's out of Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi that, uh, and they was probably the most pure Julys in the United States. And then, you know, you had your, uh, but you know, they was more Fox dogs, tougher, you know, run all night type of dogs. Well, then, you know, as the coy as the red foxes kind of went the coyotes were to coming in, you know, then there was a breed of dogs, you know, kind of the Western Julys coming out of Kansas and they were more, you know, run to catch type dogs. And, you know, but everybody kind of had the type of style of dog that they liked, you know, and the, I guess what I'm trying to say though, you know, the dogs we started out with was just kind of a mixture of the Southern dogs. There's a boy here in Eminence, Missouri, about 30 miles from here named Seaman Rayfield. He, you know, he brought a lot of them Southern bred dogs up into Missouri. So about everybody's dogs around here was that Southern, Southern breeding and kind of a mixed with the mid Midwest breeding. And that's what our old dogs was, you know, when I was a little kid. And, you know, they's good pleasure dogs. And, uh, you know, we called some coyotes with them. And we'd go to some competitions and do a little good, but nothing real impressive. And about back in 1993, my dad went to the national, the July National Championships, and it was in North Carolina. And, you know, and then there was Eastern bred Julys. I was there, and there was a little group of there that got traded around three or four different people owned him before the hunt was over but dad ended up with him and brought him home i give 75 dollars for him and brought him home and anyway we went to training that old pup and like they never got him started he wouldn't start but anyway when that dog started he, i mean he he's by far the most dominant hound I, we've ever had i mean he was fast tough you know and he was just fox bred he wouldn't he was bred for foxes, wasn't supposed to run coyotes, you know, as well, but he was fast, tough. And anyway, when we started campaigning him, dad took him back to the July National in 1996, and he won every category. He won the hunting, the trailing, the speed and drive, won the hunt, you know, pr pretty dominant fashion. And, uh, I you know, we had bigger goal for him, though, and they used to have a hunt here in Missouri. It was called the Missouri Open. And it was the toughest, you know, it's supposed to be the toughest hunt in the United States. They run a two seven-hour days and a six-hour day. And they'd start out with 250, 300 dogs. Well, they'd usually be about 10 or 12 finish the hunt. I mean, that's all that would be able to stand that much running. And, uh, you know, the logo for the hunt was to finish was to win. Well, a July dog had never placed in that hunt, had never even gotten the top 10. And anyway, when Dad got that dog back from the, national it was about october the the uh the missouri open was in march and i just went to running that dog every other day conditioning for that but anyway long story short he won the missouri open first july dog dare place in it and he won it and that was you know that was a you know first one to do it that was a that was a big deal back then and so i want to yeah i want to back up real quick i got two questions off what you just said so the dog took a long time to start but once he got started he ended up being a, a a phenomenal hound um did 
when you said that he was not supposed to be running coyotes, he was a fox dog. Is there a like? Is there a difference? Like to me, and I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Like to me, uh, a running dog should run. In my mind, this is my thought. A running dog should run whatever. So what is it? What what does the difference there? Well, and basically, you're basically right there. The difference there was, you know, back then there wasn't any coyotes on the East Coast hardly. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all foxes. I mean, right. so, yeah, the, them dogs would run anything, but, you know, his mom and dad and his, you know, all of his lineage, they'd, they'd just run foxes, you know, so. I got you. So it's kind of like, you know, it's better for me to take a dog that runs bear because I have a better chance of my pups running bear. Basically the same principle. Yeah, basically the same yep. principle. And, and plus, you know, it, you know, you can't evaluate them on anything else if they've only just run Fox, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. Yeah. But, you know, but them, you know, them guys, they were breeding for a different type of dog too. You know, if you only had Fox to run, you know, you had to have a real, you know, gamey track running dog that, you know, sure enough, know how to work a fox and, you know, would work them in the thick cover. And, you know, it's compared to like a Midwest dog that have to, you know, get up and run a coyote and use his eyes. It wasn't so much a difference in the breeding. It was, you know, a, to suit a certain own, owner in a certain part of the country, you had to have a certain, your dogs run a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, it's a huge difference from me being in the mountains here where I'm at. Um, we have, we have thickets, but our thickets are, you know, laurel and rhododendron, um, and it gets thick, but when I go to the coast and hunt, it's a whole different type of ball game. And, you know, my dogs, um, the, the performance is different, you know, it's, it's different because it's, it's thick, it's green briars, it's swamps, it's pine groves, it's cutovers, um, so yeah, I completely get what what you're saying there with the different parts of the country for the different styles for sure. But but now back to back to my story though, you know that that this that dog's name was Gray Boy, you know that we won with. But anyway, we took that dog, you know, and he started getting bred too. Kind of, he was kind of a big deal there back. I've the seen that dog's name in American Cooner. But dogs, if you're looking, you know, in the Hunter's Horn. My granddad can, used to have that, and I have seen that dog's name. Yeah, but if, if you got a running hound book that's got any pedigrees in it, somewhere in there, and a lot of them will say Lanham's Gray Boy if they got any July in them. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, we took this freak of a dog. He was just a freak was all he was. He mm-hmm. was just a super athlete. And, you know, and then we took him and started breeding in our southern and western, you know, type July dogs, and that – you know, that just turned the page for, for my hounds, you know, that they just, they just all evolved from there. I mean, you know, fast, tough dogs run their game and, and that's just the style of dogs I've kept, you know, ever since. Mm -hmm. Now, when you said that he was the first July to win, what, what type of dog was winning that, that competition before, before you guys got into it? Running walkers. Running walkers. Okay. Yep, that's it all. And and maybe some trigs, some running walkers, and some trigs would have been the only thing. But like I said, they're, you know, running walkers. And I don't know if a trig ever did or not. I bet it probably had. But, you know, the only dogs that ever placed in it was the running walkers. You know, because July is, you know, 
Drew Lies weren't known for endurance. I mean, Drew Lies were, you know, more of a faster type dog, you know, uh, run to quick to jump, run to catch. You know, that's kind of the motto with them. A little silent on track sometimes and don't, you know, cold trail a lot. And uh, they just weren't known for having enough stamina, you know, to compete in a hunt like that. Mm-hmm. And and none of the dogs that I ever, we ever had in the past would have even started to, you know. I mean, this was – we never had a dog that would have run the first two days of it, more or less the third one, you know. But when we started, you know, putting him into our bloodline, then, then that really produced. Did, well, that's what I was going to ask. If He must have been a pretty good re- reproducer um, if you started getting stuff stuff out of him. Yeah, the only downfall about it, and I still see it in my dogs still today, is they don't – this bloodline of dogs, it don't suit everybody because, like I was telling you, that old dog probably didn't start running until he's 16, 17 months old. And, you know, I'm down now to where I just got – the closest thing I got to him is probably great-grandpups. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's in all my blood. But my dogs don't start like everybody else's. You know, or a lot of – you know, I – I may give a dog a chance till it's 18 months, two years old. And, you know, lots of people, if they're not up on the front end by the time they're nine or 10 months old, they've already give up. Well, I was going to ask if he, if you saw that in him, what, what age did he start? I'm, you know, I was a young kid back then, but I'm, I'm thinking it was 16, 18 months old before he ever turned a tap. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask if that's something you see in his bloodline that they, that the dogs are, um, slow starters that, that you have to give them a little time uh, some you know most of them are slower starters but most of them you know run right off the bat but it seems like with a lot of them that they don't come to their self till they're right at two years old or maybe even a little older than that mm-hmm. but but i actually uh i got one jip though uh and i ended up winning the national with her she was the hardest dog i ever had start in my life and she would not run, just sat and watch dogs run and wouldn't run. And and this went on, this went on. And uh, finally, she was up over two years old and had never run. And I'd about give up on her, but she, boy, she's just a nice-looking jip, and I, I like the dog. And then one day, she just fell in like she'd been doing it her whole life. I guess she had been watching it. And she started – well, matter of fact, she, uh, she started running in May – and I won the July National with her in October. Wow. I mean, she went from doing nothing to being able to win and her, you know, and in my biggest field trial of the year, she was she learned she knew enough to win, you know what? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, now that's crazy. I've never had one like that, but five months. And how old was she when she when she kicked in? She was a little over two. A little over two. And you know, in today's world, most of us would have not give her a chance. Most of us yeah, would have, you know, like you said, 15, 16 months old, you know, probably said, yeah, probably not going to make it. And the deal with her, she was just one of them dogs that, you know, I liked her. And, and you can tell when a dog's smart. I mean, she was a smart dog. I just couldn't figure out why she – wouldn't run, you know, lots of them dogs won't ever run or never pan out. You can usually tell they're, you know, something wrong there. That's why they don't do it right. But, you know, I always felt like she would. And 
And she did. And I mean, now she's nine years old and she'll still run with anything I got right now. Have you raised any litters off of her? Yes. And how they turned out? Run the first time I ever took them. Wow. So, so completely di- different style, like completely different, right? Yep. Completely different. But I mean, I, I blame a lot of that on that, you know, on that gray boy bloodline. I mean, a lot of my dogs are like that, you know, like when people would come and breed to him or get some of my bloodline. And like I said, nine, 10 months along, they didn't work out for them or they didn't like them and got rid of them or whatever. And, you know, sometimes you just got to wait them out. I mean, that's hard to do though, you know, cause when you're wanting them to perform for you, you know, mm-hmm. well, and that was one of the other questions that, that I was going to ask, um, is, if if you're if you're solely running in the pens and at what age and I and I guess it's kind of a broad question because I I can answer my own question but what what do you what around what age are you liking to see something um because people kind of they'll ask me all the time well you got rid of this dog really early but you kept this dog longer you know and it well, the first thing you said there it should resonate with everybody. If you like a dog, you're going to hold on to that dog a little bit longer. You're going to give that dog extra chances and um, opportunities. So liking a dog for me is huge. Um, and then, you know, I, I like to watch the behavior. Like you said, she, she was smart, super smart. You know, if I'm seeing some of those characteristics, then I'm not in such a rush to, to make my mind up. Um, what at what age or what is it that some of the things that you're looking for around what age for that? Oh, you know, with them dogs, you know, we, we spend all that time with, you know, I go to look at them over, you know, from the time they're puppies, you know, you'll have your favorite picked out, just, you know, preference or one that stands out to you. But as far as running them, I don't like to even start thinking about running a pup till it's six or seven months old. You know, and you know that's different. A lot of people's different. Some people start them early, but I like to start like taking them when they're six or seven months old and letting them run. But now I like to start seeing them do good as soon as I start and get them going. But now I I never push a puppy like give them an hour here, or two hours, or maybe run them, you know, every ten days instead of every week or two or three times a week. You know, I the deal with me, you know, you get them puppies and they get to running good. They you need to let them develop and grow into being able to do that. You know, it, you know, they dog run 50, 60 miles a day. You know, that's a lot of beat and bang on a pup. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what I'm saying is I, I like to try to start mine when they're about six months old, but I sure don't try to start really running them till they're up around a year old. Yeah. Well, and I, that's kind of the same. I know we briefly talked about that before, you know, I, I've got some dogs that have matured a little faster, and I'll get them out at, you know, seven, eight months old, and I don't pressure them. I'm like you. I take them. I let them run around with me while I'm walking in the woods, and, um, you know, if they happen to take off and go on their own, then that's great, and if they don't, then that's okay, too. I'm not in a rush by no means, um, but I don't I don't like my dogs to – I want I want them to be a little bit more mature to handle um, – the pressure when they actually do catch that game. Um, and I, is that, is that how you guys operate too, as far as catching the coyote? I mean, 
Yeah, because, you know, they're not mature. You know, a lot of them, they're not ready for that. You know, if something goes wrong in that when they're young, I don't know if that scars them, mm-hmm. you know, but, but, you know, you want everything to go smooth with them. But, you know, that's kind of a, you know, a tricky question. You know, when you start talking about the competition world and stuff, you know, puppy hunts, puppy hunts are big in the hound world, you know, and, and if you're going to do the puppy hunt circuit, you better start that pup when he's four or five months old and be around him two or three times a week. And, you know, he needs to be as good as as most old dogs when he's 10, 11 months old, if you want to do any good in that. And that's mm-hmm. what it takes. But the thing that's always kind of made me leery of those is I've never – there's a few, but I'm going to say one out of ten of those exceptional pups ever make a hound. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. they're they're done. But by, by the time they're fifteen, sixteen months old, they seem like they're done. And I'm I'm more on the lines of the longevity of it. You know, I want a dog to still be a good dog when it's five or six years old. Yeah, absolutely. And I I I, I think you're hitting on a topic for another day. But yeah, we put so much pressure onto the young dogs sometimes that we break them, and we do, we do not get the longevity out of them. Instead of looking at it long term, we're we're being short termed. And then, like I said, it it plays out that way i think so so let's get into the pen talk about you know what what you got going on um you know kind of how life is kind of dictating to you what you're doing right at this point in time yeah like i said you know first foremost you know i'm a houndsman i I like you know people like howard owens you know he he runs his dogs to, you know, catch game and enjoy listening to the wild. And that's what it, that's what it's always been about for me. But, you know, I'm in that part of my life. I've got four kids that's playing sports and I've got, you know, work and everything going on. And, and I don't really have the time to do my dogs the justice, you know, that they need by running in the wild all the time. So, so, you know, I, I use the pit, you know, the pins, helps me level that out you know i got a i got an enclosure you know in my backyard you know i got a 50 acre enclosure and and i can run my dogs in there all the time you know i can run in there and and do honeydew jobs around the house at the same time you know and that's not really what i enjoy about it you know i mean i i, mean, I enjoy listening to the dogs and watching it but but you know i still even though i'm just running the pen i like to keep my dogs in the old way you know they have to run their game. They have to, you know, stay up on that race all night. You know, I still look for all the traits that make a good hound, but you know, the pen right now is the only place I'm able to, you know, exercise. Right. And, and it's kind of like what you were talking. You can actually throw them in the pen and go mow your yard and do your chores. And, you know, you're, you're, you're doing two things at one time. The dogs are getting exercise or getting to run the game. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're being able to take care of, t- take care of life on the side. Oh uh, yeah, because that's that's how it is with me. You know, I'd I'd like to be out there, you know, on the outside coyote hunting three days a week. But you know, if it wasn't for my enclosure, you know, I I couldn't justify having a dog right now. You know, just it's that you know I'm that busy in my life. You know, I I can't make seven or eight hours a day to go out and go hunting. But you know, I can I can do it right there if I just have to go five minutes, you know, behind the house to catch them. You know. Yeah. And so do you have a pen at your house? Do you have your own? Yes. I got an enclosure right in my backyard. I got you. 
Uh, and so you start putting your pups in there about six months old, you say? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Start them in there about six months old. And then I, uh, you know, and that's where I condition my hounds for the competitions, you know, right, right now, you know, I, I, I just basically running in the enclosures right now. And I go to a, a competition every now and then. And, and, you know, you can really watch your dogs close, you know, if you're going to a hunt, you know, if you're in a pen and you can see your dogs and, you know, you can watch them get stronger or see what's, you can kind of have a little mini field trial right there at your house every day and kind mm-hmm. of keep up with your dog. You know, like when I run my dogs, I score my dogs and kind of keep tabs of them, you know, see what's going on. Cause you know, uh, here's one benefit to having a, a pen, you know, most of our competitions are in a pen. So running in a pen don't hurt them you know that's that's mm-hmm. where the competitions are going to be but like you know i got a dog right now she's a i call her old stiff leg I, i've won the july national with her the last two years she's won it two years in a row and she's a good dog i mean one of my favorite dogs but i've got a litter mate brother to her and another dog that if you watched them run at my house and if my buddies is over or watching or we're hunting you know, say, well, how'd that go? Everybody will say, well, this, you know, stiff leg look good, but those two dogs are way better than her. You know, them's just, them's really nice dogs. I said, well, yeah, but I, I got the score broke down right here. And guess what? She outscored them by about 300 points. You know, she's not flashy. She's just good, honest track dog. She's in every race, you know, getting them, gathering them scores. But if you watched her, you wouldn't think she was near the caliber of, of two of my other dogs, one of them being her little mate brother, but she'll outscore them anytime you set them down. And, and I would never know that, you know, if I didn't have them, you know, watching them in the pen. Mm-hmm. Well, how is she picking up points on them? How, how is she, how is she doing that? Just super consistent. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know, you know how the score system is, you know, 35 mm-hmm. points to first and, increments of five down to about five points but you know them other dogs you know they're in lots of the running and they'll have you know the coyote and be the first dog and just plenty of speed and flying around and she's always there she's always in her hip pocket she'll be second dog she'll be third dog fourth dog she'll be first dog several times but she is just at no point is she ever slacking around or or not in a race i mean she's just probably the most consistent dog is staying hooked at a race of, that I've ever seen. And, and she just outscores. Mm-hmm. Well, consistency is what we're all looking for. <laughs> yeah. You want that? And, and she's not, and she's no slouch. I mean, she's, she's mm-hmm. a really, really nice dog, but, but you know, I got just by looks, you know, like her little mate brother, I would feel like he was better than her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I mean, you're pretty serious at it. If you're like, you know, you have your own pen and you're running dogs and you're, you're doing many, many scores there at your house. I mean, you know what you got. Oh yeah. And, and you know, and it takes a lot, you know, the, these competitions and, and the competition has gotten so good and hounds have advanced so much. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it's a deal, you know, to get these dogs ready for them competitions. They have to absolutely be in the shape of their life to be Mm -hmm. able to compete. And plus, you know, used to, you know, 20 years ago, a lot of it was just kind of the process of elimination. You know, if a dog started out winning a hunt, more than likely he wasn't going to finish. And, you know, there'd be a dog that was towards the back of the pack. The whole hunt would, 
end up winning because you know most of the dogs wouldn't be able to finish the hunt would get disqualified Mm -hmm. but it's not like that now you know the conditioning programs and everybody's just so more advanced on that end of things that you better have a dog that's the front dog from the first minute to the last day i mean when you talk about conditioning programs run me through that it kind of piqued my curiosity there Oh, I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of different styles. You know, like in these, uh, like this, let's just go to this July national contest. You know, that's, uh, three days in a row. You know, they run three, five hour days. They run three consecutive days, but anyway, them dogs, they can't, you know, they're running a coyote or looking for a coyote or hunting or trailing, but they can't quit at any time. And during that 15 hour span, they can't lay down. They can't stand around too much listening. I mean, it's called loafing and they'll get eliminated for it. So they have to stay on the move for 15 hours. Well, you know, I didn't really realize this until the, you know, the Garmin's and the GPS world come around, but you know, some of them dogs running 50, 60 miles a day. Well, that's 180 miles in three days. I mean, that, that, that's condition, you know, the dog has to be conditioned to, you know, be able to handle that. So how, how long does it take to prepare for that? Like, you know, for me, of course, I mean, I'm on the hunting side of it, not, not that, but you know, if I'm not, if I'm, if I literally go into, um, training season cold, which means I've not had my dogs out, it takes me a good two weeks to three weeks to get my dogs in good running shape, get their feet toughened up, um, get them where they need to be. Uh, before I can start catching bear consistently. Now, I'll catch some bear here and there, but I won't do it consistently until I get those dogs in good running shape. So is this something that you guys, because if you listen to the sled dog guys, you know, that's something they say is they, they never, they're all the time, even if it's just a little bit of exercise, they're continually exercising their dogs so it's not as hard to get them back to tip-top shape. So how does how does your guys' regiment? How long does it take to get in that that type of running shape? I think it takes four months. Is what I, is is my belief. You know, if I'm gonna go to that contest and compete, you know, I'll it, it's a four month process for me, and about three months about three months and a week into it, you can really tell it. It so I know it. I know it takes at least three months to get a dog in as good a shape as he can be. Now, is that every day running? Is that every couple days? How, how does that, um, how, how does that work with you guys? Cause I know if I run my dogs hard for, and I, and of course I don't have running dogs. So, you know, I guess that may be different, but if I run my dogs hard through the mountains for two or three days, I usually give them a day or two break. Now I've got some that'll go, but you can definitely see that spunk's not in them. Right. I mean, a lot of people's different. You know, a lot of people go to that. They might, you know, they might run them eight hours at a time once a week or all night once a week or two days a week. But I hate to give away too many secrets, but everybody's got their own. But I, I like to ease them into it. Like I'll, start out you know i'll keep my dogs in somewhat shape all year long but when i get ready and well, i've been started for about the last month and a half getting ready for this year but i'll run them once a week for five or six hours and then 
do that a week or two, and then I'll move it up to give them, you know, run them every six days and every five days. Mm-hmm. But when it's said and done, I'm running them dogs. I'm running them dogs 35 miles every other day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that'll definitely get them in shape for sure. I didn't really, I mean, I never, you know, I never really looked at that three to four months. Um, like I said, our seasons don't last long enough to, to even get a dog in shape, really. <laughs> I mean, we're we're running every, you know, in September and December, I run as much as possible. But, you know, weather, you know, if we have ice, we don't run. If, you know, if it's pouring down rain, you know, I don't run in the rain. So uh, even if I could, I mean, I got... I've got 60 days training season and then 30, 35 days in, in kill season. So I've got 90 days just to be able to do it. And that's it. Yeah. And I'm, and you know, like I said, I keep my dogs in shape all year and you know, for the first, then when I start that, you know, for the first two months, you know, you would think them dogs, you would think them dogs are in, in as good a shape as they could be in. And with the training program I got going on, you know, there'll be a little lull. You know, they'll be running really good. Then there's like a little lull where they kind of mm-hmm. – but now when they come up out of that and peak, mm-hmm. you know, at the very end of that, and about and it takes about four months. When they come out of that, them, you know, them dogs that I got ready to go to the national, they're running the best I've ever seen them run their entire lives. I mean, it, that's why my theory is it takes four months to get a dog in shape. Yeah, no, I, I completely get that. I can, like I said, I, I wished I could run mine, you know, like kind of like you. If I could just at least run them once a week year-round, it'd be 10 times better than what, they're, what they get now, for sure. So, well, JR, um, is there anything else before we wrap up here? What, let's see, I asked you about the, well, I, I want to I wanna ask you this question. I know we talked about it earlier. Do you know any guys or anybody that are mixing your running stock into the tree stock? Do you know anybody's doing that? And if so, what are the results? Not, not a lot. I mean, I know, uh, you know, in the South, I know some uh, deer doggers and stuff. You know, they like them mix a lot of running hound with tree and stock to run deer mm-hmm. and but the only you know like bigger game that i know of is idaho or oregon or somewhere i know there's some boys that use some julys and, and run some bears and stuff with them mm-hmm. and and actually i don't know where they ever went to but i sent some dogs when i was in high school it's been 20 years ago and and they went to virginia and and, and made bear dogs but i wouldn't i wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to tell you who had them yeah, well, it'd be my neck of the woods for sure. Um, but there's a lot of bear hunters in Virginia too. I mean, you got you got the guys down on, you know, east of the Blue Ridge, and then you got us west of the Blue Ridge, and um, it's it's pretty populated for sure. So and and that deal there with me sending them bear dogs out there, a kid that hunted with me, you know, my same age as me and growed up with him, he had dogs and he moved out there. And when he come back, he said, oh, them boys is wanting some hounds. And he took some pups. I gave him some pups, and he took out there and sold to some boys. And they supposedly made good bear dogs, but I don't have a clue where or who they went to, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
and I guess another question I have about the July, because, you know, I looked them up and started doing, are most of these dogs white or have a blondish tint to them? Mostly they got some white, but now they're, a July is a dog, they're, they're any color under the rainbow. They can be black, white, uh, buckskin, calico, brindle. I mean, there's a lot of them look just like plots. I mean, some of them look like mountain curs. I mean, they... Uh, most of mine are gray, you know, which goes back to that gray dog that come out of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, there uh, there is no one set color of Julys. I mean, they are apps. There's nothing uh, nothing out of bounds when it comes to them. Huh? Where do they it's, get all the color scheme from then? Like, well, I don't know. You know, they, <laughs> you know, like I said, I got them Catahoulas and stuff, and a lot of my Julys look just like Catahoulas, so that kind of makes me wonder about that sometimes. Uh huh. But you know, they're, you know, they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be just, you know, them was hounds that was brought over here in the 1800s and they've just been you know there was some tree and you know, running walker dogs in there early you know that's what they bred them to to get started but then it just become the july breed but, mm-hmm. but no there's no uh there's absolutely no telling what color you'll get huh well that's that's cra- that's crazy because i wouldn't have thought that like i said most of the pictures that i'd seen and i know they paint them for those hunts so they've got they can see the numbers and stuff, so maybe maybe I was seeing more of that side of it. Right, right, but yeah, and, and you never know. That's just like I, I like a gray dog. I I like to keep them gray. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've been breeding gray dogs to gray dogs for thirty years, and I'll get a lemon spotted pup about every litter. Huh. You know, where does I mean, you know, it's coming back. You know, generations you can't even see in a pedigree somewhere. There's some lemon spots because I'll, I'll get lemon spots. Yeah, but isn't there, isn't there a guy down in Texas around that area that's got some of those lemon-spotted dogs? Oh, yeah, there's there's several lemon-spotted dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen some of the guys that are mixing the running dogs with the hound, the tree dogs. I've seen several of those that are lemon-spotted. So um, is it safe to say that if they're lemon spotted, they're probably coming from a July side or would they be coming from a trig or a running walker? Well, I would, I would like to think it was coming from the running walker. That's why I don't like the spots. You know, that. Ah. Kind of, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, don't not like walkers, but I'm more mm-hmm. biased to Julys, So I kind of like my Julys to look what I want a July to look like. Yep. No, absolutely. I don't want to be looking like a walker. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. That's for sure. But on, you know, on that deal, one of the best dogs I ever had was a Walker dog. I, uh, one of my hunting buddies gave me a Walker dog just to make fun of me. Cause I was a 16 year old kid and just had Julys. That's all I thought there ever was. And one of my hunting buddies named Harold Yoakum, he, he gave me a Walker pup just to aggravate me more than anything. That's running. But anyway, I went to run him man i kind of really like that dog and and i actually i won more hunts with that dog than any hound i ever owned i won five or six hunts that one summer and then i drove five hours to the state championship is on the held in the wild had right at 300 dogs in it and i I won it with that walker dog it was the first uh first champion first championship i ever won missouri state 
with a hound, and it was for the walkers. So. Like a tree and walker, not a running walker. No, it was a running walker. Running walker. Okay, I got you. Yeah. But them's all about the same, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I, I don't know enough difference about it for sure, but um, they sure do look a lot alike, don't they? They sure look alike, but now they... I mean, no, they's good and absolutely all of them. Yeah. So I'm not completely biased. I did have a really good walker dog one time. Well, if you want to want to hunt, you can't knock it, can you? Nope. <laughs> it's, a, it's easy to like something if it's winning. Yeah, that's that's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. It's easier to hold on to it. I always say I'm not colorblind, but I have my preferences. But <laughs> a good hound is a good hound, and I don't care what color you color it. Yep, and a good hound is a good hound, and papers, you know, a good hound ain't got no papers either. I mean, yeah, a yep. good hound's a good hound. Yeah. So, so Jr., is there anything you want to leave us with? Any any knowledge? Any advice? Anything that you want to put out there before we before we wrap this up? No, not that I think of off top hand. I ain't went to line yet, so. <laughs> We might want to wrap it up because I'm about to point about to start lying if you're going to hear any more out of me. Yeah, we'll 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 keep that at the we'll keep that at the the down low. But, but yeah. no, I guess uh, one thing I would say, uh, I guess if we struck the ear of any turkey hunters out there, have them look up my turkey calls. I guess Rolling Thunder game calls. You'll yeah, see my see my ugly mug right there on a turkey call box. Yeah, like I said, that that was kind of. I mean, like I said, I I like to turkey hunt. That's that's my second favorite thing to do. And you know, was, you know, I didn't I didn't have a clue until I talked to you that that uh, that was something that you'd done. And then when I I looked it up, I was like, man, he's won that one. He's won that one. He's won that six times. He's won that four times. Like, holy cow! So kind of kind of a privilege and an honor to have you on here. So yeah. and maybe we'll run into you at the in nashville next year for sure yeah yeah if you make her down there look me up oh i'm going to i'll text you and and let you know like i said i'm gonna try to get down there for a couple of days anyway for just to, to piddle around and um you know i always like to look at the new stuff and i never can i know we're getting back to the turkey hunting i never can find a vest that suits me um i've got several vests and i, I looked at them all spring and because i didn't get to hunt I didn't hunt the five days this year. I kind of put it on the back burner, but that's one of my goals next year when I go down there is to find me a vest that I that that works for what what I needed to do. Yeah, them uh, the Mister Fox turkey vest. That's what everybody's going ape over right now. Oh yeah, is that mossy oak? Yeah, yeah. Now you work with mossy oak, don't you? I pro staff for them. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, but, but everybody likes that vest. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I looked at them. Um, like I said, I kind of, I was looking at them, researching them, and then I kind of just put it on the back burner. I let it let it go. Maybe, maybe this winter when I'm bored, I'll I'll get back into it for sure. They they come out with that vest down there at the NWTF in Nashville back in February, and those people, those people slept in line all night to get one of them. That's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> Well, it must be a pretty good vest if people would stand in line for a day and a half for them. Yeah, I wonder if they're rolling them out of production now or they're still short. I, I'd be lying if I told you, but I'm thinking, you know, they had like the limited editions, you know, the numbered ones, but I think that person probably get just a regular one. Yeah. Right. I get you. 
All right, JR. Just like we finish every podcast, um, man, it's been a it's been an honor to have you on. Um, I appreciate it, and thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn about the July Hound.